Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Garrett swung on, hit in the air to deep left field. Schwarber's going back. He's at the wall. He's looking up, and it is gone. Goodbye. Bang! Zoom goes Stone Garrett on a 1-1 pitch. Gets a hold of a changeup and drives it out of here to straightaway left field. For Garrett, it's his fourth home run of the year. RBIs 18 and 19. The Nationals immediately cash into the Trey Turner error with Ruiz scoring in front of him. It's the Nationals 2 and the Phillies nothing. The batter at hand is Stott with a 3-2 count. Runner second and third. Gray fires. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on a high fastball. What an escape by Josiah Gray. He's fired up heading back to the dugout. Here's the 1-2. Swinging a ground ball to the second baseman. A two-hopper glove by Garcia. He'll underhand the ball to Smith, and the side is retired. So the Nationals' bullpen combo of Thompson and Finnegan working around the leadoff double. The Phillies strand the tying run at second. And welcome to Nats Chat for Saturday, July 1st, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So we have arrived at the numerical midpoint of the Nats 2023 regular season. 81 games down, 81 games to go. The Nats are 33 and 48, but they now have won five of their last six games. Friday evening, a 2-1 win at the Philadelphia Phillies in game one of a three-game series. And that's beat a Phillies team that had won 18 of its previous 23 games. This was a really nice win by the Nats. Coming up later in the show, we'll check in with Josh Wetzel, who is the voice of the Nats AAA affiliate, the Rochester Red Wings. Some good stuff from Josh on the uh, AAA debut of Jackson Rutledge, who just got promoted from AA Harrisburg. But Jackson Rutledge is uh, hopefully part of the future of the Nats, but the present of the Nats is in what happened on Friday evening. Some outstanding pitching. Josiah Gray, Mason Thompson, Kyle Finnegan, and Hunter Harvey combined to allow one run in nine innings with 12 strikeouts. Mark, that was impressive. I think that was the best pitching performance of the season for the staff as a whole. And I know they've had some games where they shut out the other team or maybe an individual performance was better. Some of Mackenzie Gore's starts, you know, 11 strikeouts kind of thing. But I think top to bottom, all the guys who pitched, given who they were facing, and the fact that because this was a one-run game pretty much the entire way through, 
every at bat in that game was high leverage. They were consistently one pitch away from trailing or blowing the game. And so for them to come through like that, 12 collective strikeouts, one walk, I thought that's the best all-around pitching performance of the year. And that was a really, really impressive job by all of them. That is a good Phillies lineup. That is a ballpark, Citizens Bank Park, in which home runs can be hit. It was a hot and humid game. You weren't quite sure what to expect going into the game, but the Nats ended up doing a tremendous job against this Phillies lineup. And it all started with Josiah Gray. And it was just a few weeks ago that, you know, when Josiah Gray would pitch, we would talk about what was happening with him. And, you know, some of the results were all right, but the process was off. And he certainly did not seem to be at the level that he had been earlier this season. Heck, it was just a few weeks ago, June 19th, the Nats had an 8-6 loss to the St. Louis Cardinals at Nationals Park. Josiah Gray in that game, six runs in five innings, gave up nine hits, including two homers, a triple and a double. But since then, 2 nothing win at the San Diego Padres on June 24th. Josiah Gray in that game, five and a third scoreless innings with six strikeouts. And then Josiah Gray in this game on Friday evening with one of his best outings of the season. Maybe it was his best outing of the season. I mean, you'd have to think about it, but one run in six innings, eight strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, he gave up just six hits, all of which were singles. And he threw a ton of strikes in this game. Josiah Gray on Friday evening, 99 pitches, a whopping 69 strikes versus just 30 balls. And, you know, it hasn't always been that Josiah Gray has been a strikeout pitcher. But in this game, scoreless bottom of the fourth, despite giving up two singles as he in the inning generated three strikeouts a scoreless bottom of the six, despite having runners on first and third with no outs, and then runners on second and third with two outs. Uh, Gray in that inning struck out Bryson Stott swinging for the third out. What a job by Josiah Gray in this game. Yeah, I think this was his best pitching performance of the year. And the reason for it, because I know this is true, this was his best fastball command of the season. Think about all the times when he gets in trouble and you can tell those non-competitive fastballs that tail way outside or up out of the zone. Look at the strike zone plot from this one. There's a couple of misses, but for the most part, everything is near or in the zone. He was dotting the corners, the sides, both sides of the plate with his fastball. His sinker, 19 of 25 for strikes. His four-seamer, 13 of 21 for strikes. He was throwing the fastball a lot more than he has. He had confidence in it for a change. And I think that was the biggest difference. We know that very often he abandons that pitch and starts just going breaking ball heavy. And it can work for him at times because his breaking balls are that good. But to see him have success with the fastball to locate the way that he did against such a good lineup, I thought that was the most impressive part of this. He really did pitch like an ace in this game. It was so good to see him strike guys out to the extent that Josiah did. And, you know, you look at his season now, and he would be due to make one more start before the All-Star break, but 17 starts in ERA of 330. I mean, I think every Nats fan would have signed up for that going into this season. And we know that it's up and down with these young pitchers. I think with Josiah Gray, it's been more up than it has been down this season. But if you just kind of take a step back and you survey his season from 30,000 feet off the struggles of the last two seasons, the giving up of the home runs the last two seasons, what he's doing this season really is encouraging. And I think you could say the same thing about Mackenzie Gore, but off what Gray did on Friday evening, 
I think it is kind of a reminder of, hey, yeah, there are nits to pick, and not every outing is flawless, okay? But, gee, 17 starts, ERA a 3.30, a gem like this on Friday evening. Hard to complain about that to me if you're a Nats fan. Most improved player on the team. I don't think there's any question about that. And if you had to go into the year and say, who do you hope will be the most improved player on this team? I think a lot of us would have said Josiah Gray. He's avoided the big blowups. Yeah, there's some home runs here lately. The walk total has still been high at times, but he really has avoided those big blow-up innings that hurt him so much last year. Even on the nights when he doesn't really have it, he's found a way to get through it, and that's a big step. And then on a night like this, when everything is working for him, you can see just how great he can be. I wish he was a little more pitch efficient. I would love on a night when you have one run on six hits, one walk and eight strikeouts, I'd love for the innings pitch to be a seven and not a six. But again, we're nitpicking here. And for him, that is a big step up. They fouled off a lot of pitches. So some of that's not entirely his fault. But all the stats, all those things are good. But I still think the most impressive and most important thing that he's done, you said it, 17 starts for him. Go back to last year. He has, knock on wood, stayed healthy. He has taken the ball every fifth day. I don't think you can take that for granted. How many promising young pitchers have we seen deal with either major or even minor injury, and he has stayed healthy and taken the ball. He's got a really good work ethic. It matters to him to be reliable like that. You put that all together, and this has been an outstanding first half for Josiah Gray, I would say. And I think even with the struggles, especially of last season, you know, his first full major league season with the Nats, if you do stay healthy and you do make your starts, what at least can be the case is that these bad outings are learning experiences. You know, he made 28 starts last season. So you say to yourself, all right, 28 starts, he had an ERA over five. Nobody was happy about that. But at least you could be like, all right, those are 28 major learning experiences And if you treat those things properly and come out of those things the right way, they can end up being things on which you build. And, you know, we've talked about the makeup of Josiah Gray. This does seem to be someone who's smart and introspective and studies his craft and takes his job seriously. When you hear him talk, I mean, he sounds mature. He sounds older than what he actually is. You know, he comes off like an adult, you know, and I think a guy like that can sort of properly channel a bad season like what he had last year. And so, you know, the bad pitching like wasn't for naught, you know, like there was something to be gained out of all of that. And I think we're perhaps seeing that with what he's doing this season. I think that's a great way to put it. He is constantly striving to get better. Even when he's good, he wants to find ways to get better. And certainly when he wasn't good at times last year, that motivated him to try to fix these problems. He worked on his mechanics all winter. We've seen him incorporate new pitches. At times, maybe he can be a victim of a little too much thinking and overthinking, but I would rather have that than the alternative. And I think Kevin Franson said it on the broadcast during this game. Some major leaguers are just so stubborn and refusing to change. I'm not going to name names here, but I think we can think of a few who keep trying to do the same thing over and over and it hasn't worked out for them. And props to Josiah for understanding how to adapt, how to get better doesn't always work out, but you figure out what does work. And hopefully at the end of all this, he really has discovered who he is as a pitcher. There's a lot to like there, obviously. And I think it sort of saw the culmination of that all in this particular start. So Josiah Gray on Friday evening, really good. The Nats bullpen on Friday evening, really good. Three Nats relievers combined 
for three scoreless innings with four strikeouts. This was the A bullpen. We saw Mason Thompson. We saw Kyle Finnegan. We saw Hunter Harvey. We know the deal with this Nats bullpen. It can be really bad. It also, though, can be really good. And this was one of those really good performances. Uh, Mason Thompson in the bottom of the seventh faced three batters and got two outs. Now, he did give up a leadoff full count opposite field double by Alec Bohm to the right center field gap. But uh, Mason then generated back-to-back strikeouts. You then had Kyle Finnegan tossing one and a third scoreless innings, which came in facing the top five batters of the Phillies lineup. So, you know, we talk about who's the ace reliever, who's the number two. Well, Kyle Finnegan was brought into this game to face the top of the Phillies lineup, and he got the job done. Again, four outs over facing those Phillies top five batters. And then Hunter Harvey, a zero drama, perfect bottom of the ninth, two swinging strikeouts. He threw 10 pitches, nine strikes versus one ball. That's pretty efficient. So as good as Josiah Gray was, the bullpen picked uh, right where Josiah Gray left off. All of them, all of them outstanding. And again, zero margin for error through that all with a one run lead against a good lineup in a ballpark that, like you said, you hit the ball in the air, hold your breath because it might go out. I want to start with Thompson because I do think it was a really interesting inning if you watch it from start to finish. First batter, like you said, the leadoff double, but it wasn't just the double, the process that got him there, he looked off. And we have seen him a couple of outings here recently look off again. And Jim Hickey came to the mound after that first batter, talked to him, and they flipped a switch there, struck out the next two. Watching it, I feel like to my untrained eye, on that first batter, he was doing the whole short arm again, not reaching all the way back, just kind of shot putting it almost. And that's when he got into trouble for much of the month of May. And you saw the command off. Now, I don't know what specifically Jim Hickey told him, but watch the next at bat. All of a sudden, he's reaching back more. He's bringing his arm down a little lower and bringing it back up to throw each pitch. And you saw how crisp each of the pitches was after that. He was lights out. Now, I kind of wanted to see him get the chance to face Schwarber and finish the inning because I think he had corrected whatever the problem there was. But I understand why Davey Martinez is saying in a one-run game, tying run on second and a big slugger at the plate in Schwarber, I'm going to my best high leverage guy. I think it's clear right now that is Kyle Finnegan. I really do ultimately like Finnegan in this kind of role. It's the fireman role. Bring him in to get out of a jam. Hopefully he does it quick enough that he can come back and pitch another inning after that against the heart of the lineup. And that's exactly what he did. His stuff lately has been outstanding. And I think Dan Colco said it on the broadcast. Remember, he had that bad five-run game against Tampa the first week of the season. It's amazing how one outing like that can screw up your stats for the whole year. Take that out and look what Finnegan has been since then. Yeah, there have been a couple of notable blowups, but the ERA is under two otherwise. He has been outstanding, and I love him in this role. And then Hunter Harvey, it's exactly what you want, facing the bottom of the lineup in a one-run game, no drama, a lot of strikes. So in each of those cases, there was something to point to to be excited about. But I really was intrigued by that Thompson inning, the adjustment that he made after the mound visit, and he figured it out and got it back again to turn what could have been a really bad inning into a dominated inning by him. How about the thing, too, with, okay, because we've seen Davey go to Harvey in innings other than ninth innings in order to face key portions of opposing lineups. You didn't see that in this game. You saw Davey have Finnegan handle 
the meat of the Phillies lineup and then have Harvey pitch the ninth inning in that, you know, traditional closers way. I thought that that stood out that uh, maybe to your point about Finnegan, that there is kind of now this uh, retrust in Finnegan of, you know, it's not, well, we got to have him face the bottom of the opposing team's lineup. Now it's, yeah, you know what? Okay. Top of the Phillies lineup coming up. We can go with Finnegan because we want to save Harvey for that ninth inning. Yeah, I think we're seeing that several times here. I go back to the series in Houston. He had a really big game against the heart of that lineup. They did it in San Diego against their best hitters. And then this one against the Phillies' best hitters. That's a pretty good sample there of that. And it's funny, like you would think that a clean ninth inning against the bottom of the lineup might be lower pressure and that you'd have more trouble facing the heart of the lineup or trying to pitch out of a jam in the seventh or the eighth. But I feel like Finnegan, for whatever reason, is better when he's thrown into the fire like that earlier in the game. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I have no idea why that may be. Maybe I'm making it up. I just am remembering what I what I want to remember. But I feel like he's better at that. And I think maybe in a way, Hunter Harvey is also better in this kind of role where he just knows, okay, ninth inning, bottom of the lineup, I'm going to get that inning. Now, I'll be interested if it does come up again and it's the bottom of the lineup in the eighth, would he go to Harvey and then save Finnegan for the ninth against the meat of the order? We haven't seen that come up here in a little while. I'd be curious how that goes. But in a vacuum, I think their best alignment here is Finnegan to get out of a jam and maybe go one plus and then Harvey to have a clean ninth. Yeah. I mean, if both guys are on, I think you can kind of mix and match, you know, like when they're on, they can be really effective. The problem has just been they haven't always been on. It's nice to see them pitching, too. We had that stretch in which those guys barely pitched because the Nats were not in games. We're certainly not winning games. And now that the Nats are back to winning games, he's actually seen a decent amount of Harvey and Finnegan in recent games. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kbert Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nat Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfas has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and health care. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Hey, NatChat Podcast. Tim Shover is here to tell you about the Game Time app. I got a text recently from a good friend of mine whose daughter is really into Harry Potter and wants to be there on Saturday, July 8th for Harry Potter Day against the Texas Rangers. They aren't the biggest sports fans to begin with, so I directed him to the Game Time app and told him what was the best move. Now he will be behind the Nats dugout for a reasonable price, all by simply logging on to the Game Time app. Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. 
Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey, NATSCHAT Podcast. The other night, my parents were at the Braves game. They live in Atlanta. What do you want from me? Anyhow, my mom texted me afterwards. She saw four guys stroll in, and one of them was wearing bird dogs. She said by far he looked the best of anyone in his group of friends. Bird dogs fit better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton, and I believe it based upon customer reviews. Go to birddogs.com pool and enter promo code P-O-O-L for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. They promise you. No balls, two strikes. From the stretch, the kick and the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a splitter diving down and away. And bang, zoom. A curly W's in the books here in Philadelphia. Well, it's a good thing the Nats got good pitching on Friday evening because the Nats did not do much in the way of hitting in this game. Just two runs, just seven hits, just one walk as this was another low walk game for the Nats. The Nats struck out 11 times, went uh, one for five with runners in scoring position. The only extra base hit for the Nats in this game was a two-run homer by Stone Garrett. And uh, this was what you call a Citizens Bank ballpark, uh, shall we say, special. All right, This was a homer that was hit in the vicinity of about 360 feet, but was hit to the right part of the ballpark. And look, a homer is a homer. Stone Garrett didn't have to apologize for this, but uh, came in a two-run Nats second, a one-out two-run homer to left field, came off the Phillies' starting pitcher, Christopher Sanchez, a lefty. It is remarkable the degree to which Stone Garrett is uh, raking against lefties. He also had what initially was a double in the game, then got turned into an error for really bad defensive play by uh, the ex-NAD Kyle Schwarber. The ball was literally in Schwarber's glove, was hit to deep left field, was hit hard. But still, I mean, that's a ball that Schwarber should have caught, did not. Initially, Garrett got the double, but uh, ended up going down as an error. But yeah, Garrett had the homer. And then the rest of the game, there really wasn't much. Now, Dominic Smith, as the Nats' number seven batter, did go three for four with three singles, the last of which came in the top of the ninth, a two-out single up the middle. That single ended a string of 14 consecutive outs by Nats batters. I mean, there just was not much happening with the Nats offensively in this game. Lane Thomas did get on base three times. He had two leadoff singles and a leadoff walk, but otherwise, just not a lot going on with the Nats offensively. I'll be honest. I, in watching the game, I'm thinking to myself, the storyline that we're going to be talking about is how they missed a few early opportunities to expand their lead, and that ended up costing them because they could do nothing at the plate the rest of the night, and all it was going to take was one bad pitch from one of their guys to blow it late. So props to the pitching staff for making sure that wasn't the storyline of the game, but it sure felt like it was headed down that path. They did virtually nothing from the fifth inning on, as you just outlined. And even prior to that, yeah, there were some chances. You had Manessis strike out with uh, runners on in the third. You had two on in the fourth. And Derek Hill tries to put down a squeeze bunt and then runs into fair territory and the ball touches him. So that's an automatic out. And then C.J. Abrams on the next pitch grounds out to first, killing that rally. Another runner reached third in the fifth inning. You have Garcia grounding out. You have Candelario striking out. Manessis grounding out. Joey Manessis, 
maybe I jinxed him by talking him up the other day about how great he's been with runners in scoring position. I don't think he's had a hit since. It really has been a rough week for him in that department. But to your point about Stone Garrett, I'm looking at the uh, StatCast data right here. The home run, exit velocity, 91 miles an hour, distance, 363, expected batting average on the home run, 070. <laughs> okay. Now, remarkably, it says that would still be a home run in 12 out of 30 ballparks. Fenway, Great American, Guaranteed Rate, Comerica, Minute Maid, Target, Citizens Bank, Petco, T-Mobile, Oracle, Tropicana, and Rogers Center. That would be a home run. I guess the dimensions in all those parks are just really short. So that was actually not his best hit ball of the night. The double slash error on Schwarber, he hit that one 110 miles an hour, almost as far, 341 feet, and the expected batting average on that one was 700. So I don't know what to make of all that, except sometimes you'd rather be lucky than good, I guess, right? Hey, a hit is a hit. Like they say, the box score knows no different. Uh, Stone Garrett, for the season, has an OPS of 806 against left-handed pitching. And how about this? This doesn't get talked about as much because he's doing well against basically everyone. But Lane Thomas now this season against left-handed pitching, an OPS of 1,119. The Nats' best hitter this season against lefty pitchers actually has been Lane Thomas. He really has feasted against lefty pitchers. He has crushed them. And, you know, I hope we're not taking this for granted. What he's done over the last couple of weeks has taken it to another level. He has just been outstanding no matter who he's facing, but in particular against lefties, like you said. And he's hitting for power. He's hitting for average. He's drawing walks. He's getting on base. In addition to being pretty much a slam dunk all-star, I feel like at this point, if he played this way over a full season, he'd be in an MVP conversation. Now, he's had two great months, one not so great month. So there's still three to go in a long way to see how that all plays out. But he has ranked among the best hitters in baseball for the last two months now, now that June is complete. And I don't know that people outside of Washington, D.C. understand or realize just how good this guy has been. He's done a terrific job. He's maybe been the single most pleasant surprise of this season. Although, as we all know, I mean, he did hit well down the stretch of the 2021 season. Last season was more up and down. A few negatives for the Nats in this game that I wanted to highlight here. So Luis Garcia on Friday evening, 0 for 4, and he also got picked off. And this was a pretty bad pickoff. Now Garcia goes too early. He's going to be picked off. Throw to Clemens. He's caught in a rundown. The throw to the second baseman, Stott. He tags him out. It'll go a pickoff and a caught stealing. It'll go 1-3-6. You can get picked off and it's close. And then you can get picked off badly. And uh, to me, this falls under the umbrella of getting picked off badly. Top of the first, Garcia reached base via fielder's choice, but then got picked off and had like no chance and uh, he also was uh, officially caught on an attempted steal of second base. This ended up being the third out in the inning and did come with uh, Joey Manessis batting. So, you know, we entered the season and we have the, uh, well, initially six potential building blocks. Cade Cavalli out for the year for Tommy John surgery. So down to five, right? The five guys on whom we are going to especially focus. Mackenzie Gore, Josiah Gray, K-Bert Ruiz, C.J. Abrams, Luis Garcia. If you had to oversimplify things, I think you'd say Gray and Gore, good. Abrams and Ruiz, not so good. What about Luis Garcia? How would you categorize his season? You know, it's a funny deal. He is playing well defensively at second base, and the metrics do back that up. Plus one defensive run saved on the season entering Friday. 
if you look at your Nats leaderboard for OPS on the season, Garcia actually is number three with Lane Thomas one, Jamer Candelario two, although the Garcia OPS is 696, which I think tells you something about the Nats, that their number three OPS guy in terms of qualified batters is under 700. What do you think? Has Luis Garcia been more good or more bad this season? I think it's a tough one. I'm going to lean towards the good. And the reason is I'm sort of judging on a scale here compared to what he was last year. I think the defensive improvement is obviously a big part of this. Now, he's playing second base instead of shortstop. I think we all knew all along it was probably going to get better just as a result of that. But I think he has legitimately played a good second base. He, in Seattle, had that one game, the extra inning game, where he was out of his mind. Some tremendous plays there. So that is improvement. We know as a hitter, he can be good. We know he can put the bat on the ball with the best of them. He's still, the selectivity is still an issue. We haven't really seen the power from him that maybe we thought we might at times. It's been more opposite field singles, I feel like, from him. So there's still a lot of room for growth there. But I think given what the expectation was and what he was last year, I think I'd put him in the category of having had a a good solid first half with obvious reason to believe that it can still get better. I agree that Gray and Gore are in the good category, although in both cases, you can say there's still more that you could see there. I think Cabert Ruiz, I wrote about him the other day, I think this is kind of fascinating. He has hit the ball so hard and had such bad luck that I do think it skewers the numbers somewhat. I think he's probably been better than that shows, and he has been good late in games, big home runs, things like that. Somewhat the same for C.J. Abrams, but I think that's been more of a disappointment on the offensive side for Abrams. So I think what's fascinating here at the midway point of the season, all five of those guys, I think you can say that we've seen some really good stuff from all of them that makes you excited about the future. And we've also seen just enough to make you worry, what are they really going to become? None of them is a finished product yet. They all have their flaws and you hope that that continues to go on an upward path, but you don't really know at this point, any of them for sure, what it is you're going to have for them in the long term. No, I mean, unless someone just totally busts out this year. I mean, I don't think anything that any one of these guys does this season is going to make you say good or bad. Okay, we know with certainty what the guy is. It's just, you know, you go off of like what you're seeing and kind of where you are in that moment. And yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard to be anything but pleased with Gore and Gray. And, you know, with Abrams, look, it's been really tough offensively. I mean, the numbers are ugly. And so all you can do is just hope that things do get better as the season goes on. With Cabot Ruiz, no doubt, you have to look at the stat cast data and the bad luck that he has had. But, you know, there's also his defense. And this was another negative that I wanted to bring up. So the Phillies in this game officially went three for three on stolen bases. Cabot Ruiz now this season is 12 for 79 on runners trying to steal. Now, yes, some of that, maybe even the majority of that is on pitchers, but still, 12 for 79 is 12 for 79. And yes, you also throw in the bigger bases and teams are stealing bases at higher rates this season. All of that is understood. But to me, 12 for 79 is unacceptable. You can't have that. And you can't just put all of that on pitchers. He did a pretty good job last season throwing out runners on attempted steals. What has happened with him in that regard this season, do you think? I think, and the sense I've maybe gotten from the uh, the organization as well, 
is that as things started to go bad and as he knew the pitching staff had not been doing a good job of getting the ball to him quickly, not holding on runners well, he started trying to compensate for that. And I think his throwing mechanics have been off a little bit. It's not like he's making really good throws and they're just a tick late. There have not been a ton of great throws either. Oftentimes there's no throw, which again, I don't put on him. That's more on the pitcher. But so I think he's maybe been trying to compensate for the pitcher struggling and that's actually hurting him more so. I know Henry Blanco has worked with him a lot on this. The hope would be they can get this down. It's a joint process. You have to get buy-in from the pitchers. They have to do a better job. But yeah, you got to be from the catching side, better at it. Footwork, arm slot, direction to the base, all those kinds of things have to be better. The other thing that I think is a concern defensively from him, and the analytics show this as well, is that his pitch framing has been really poor. And I know the Nationals and Nationals fans complain a lot about umpires and strike zone and how it feels like it hurts the Nats more than it helps them. I think a decent amount of that has been poor pitch framing. And until there's automated balls and strikes or a challenge system or something like that, pitch framing is still going to be a big part of this game. It's not Cabot Ruiz's strong suit. That is an area he's going to have to improve at least until the rules change and it's no longer a skill that anybody needs to have. Yeah. I think you can give Cabot Ruiz some of the credit for the improvement of Gore and Gray. And you say, hey, Cabot Ruiz as a game caller, as a receiver, is doing some good things. But yeah, I mean, if you're analyzing his defense, there are some things that uh, certainly need to get better. Hit us up on Twitter. Tell us what you think at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com and get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t shirt. Uh, you can do that by going to our new website, Nats Chat Podcast. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat podcast. Check out his site, timnewmark.com. Game two for the Nats at the Phillies is on uh, Saturday afternoon at 4.05. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. So for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And we leave you now with this check-in on the Nats AAA affiliate, the Rochester Red Wings, with the voice of the Red Wings, Josh Wetzel. Right-handed batter towering over Porter behind the plate in the pitch. Way upstairs, off the middle, Porter to the backstop. Martin races home and scores standing, and the Wings have won it. 3-2 to two the final score. The Wings score single runs in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings and walk off Omaha. Hey guys, Josh Wetzel here with a Rochester Red Wings update for you, and we'll start with Jackson Rutledge, the 6'8 right-hander, former first-round pick of the Nationals, made his AAA debut Wednesday in the first game of the second half of the season at Lehigh Valley, facing a pretty good Iron Pigs lineup. The big issue for Rutledge was his control. He walked a career-high six men in three and two-thirds innings, only allowed two hits but gave up five runs. Now, part of the issue could have been nerves, but also in AAA, he'll be dealing with the electronic strike zone, something he did not have to deal with in AA, and that electronic strike zone has proven to be kind of tiny so far this season with a lot of walks, so that will be interesting to track moving forward. Jake Alou's been hot at the plate. Five-game hitting streak for Alou heading into Friday. 11 hits in his last 21 at-bats. He's had seven hits just in the last two games alone. And if you go back over the month of June in the last 20 games, he's batting 438 with nine extra base hits. Matt Adams, big city, has a six-game hit streak going, nine for 24 during that stretch. 
with a couple of homers, also three doubles. And a couple of prospects on the injured list right now. Carter Keboom's been out with an oblique injury now for about a week, but should be back shortly. Darren Baker's been sidelined with a sprained groin now for two or three weeks and has just started to uh, rehab some in the Florida Complex League. Also should point out Blake Rutherford's been very good since getting promoted from Double A Harrisburg. In eight games with the Red Wings, he's batting 400 with three home runs. He's also driven in nine. Former Yankees first round pick who'd spend the last couple of years playing in AAA with the Chicago White Sox. That's an update for now from Rochester. Hope everything's going great. He unloads again, breaking ball, smoked to deep right center by Rutherford. Back goes Gentry, it's over his head, out into the fifth, it's, it's gone! Rutherford homers to right center field. His second home run is a Red Wing. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.